welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Holy Spirit, open our ears that we can hear your word. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Lord, I pray for the grace to speak your word and get out of the way. We love you. Feed us. These are difficult times. We need all of your power. We need your victory. We need to see your, you are greater than anything that's set against us. And we need to walk in everything. We want everything you have for us. So teach us, Lord, your word. Thank you that you surely will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to really be looking at just verses 13 and 14, but I'm going to start at verse 3. Believe it or not, verse 3 all the way down through verse 14 in Ephesians is one sentence. Sounds like my preaching. Somebody called it a doxology. It, it, Paul just opens up and he just starts going. It, I, you know, it's, it's like it's a great song. Or I, I would almost say, uh, if you know what I mean by it, it's a spoken word. Some of the young people do a spoken word. And that's really kind of what this is. So let's, I'm going to just, just get the flow of it. Let's start at verse 3. Paul is writing, well, let me say where this is. Paul is in prison. He's in jail in Rome. For the first time. Paul will be jailed twice. Uh, first time, it's really house arrest. And it's not all that unpleasant. He's allowed to write letters. He's allowed to have guests come in and see him. He basically has church in his home with a, with a, with a Roman soldier uh, watching over him. He, I don't know if he's still chained to this guy. Um, but it's, it's not all that bad. He is then released. And for about three to five years, uh, he travels more. And he evangelizes in Crete and various places. And then is re-arrested under Nero, that horrible Caesar Nero. Uh, around, and around 67 AD, he's, uh, he's put to death. Same time when Peter is. Peter is crucified upside down. Paul is a Roman citizen. His head is cut off. But it's, it's right there. So Paul is in, in jail the first time. He's in this house arrest, and he writes those prison epistles, you know, uh, Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, uh, Philemon. And he's writing from jail, and he's writing to, the, to a church that he founded in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is on, on the west coast of Turkey, uh, the southwest coast, right in there. And it was a, one of the great cities of the world at the time. I mean, it was a big deal, a rich, powerful uh, city. When you go to, the, uh, to visit that area of the, of the world, you always want to go see Ephesus. The, the, the ruins are amazing. This enormous uh, amphitheater and temples that were just uh, huge, all of this kind of thing. So Paul is writing to the church in this powerful Greek city. And these are Gentiles he's writing to. So here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God's given us everything when he's joined us to Christ, and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Let me stop there because that's, Matt uses the word predestined. Paul is not saying that God, before the foundation of the world, picked out who was going to be saved and who was not. He teaches elsewhere. He says, whom God foreknew, these he also predestined. What did he predestine? Uh, you know, that's even a bad word. The word in English is predestined. But the word in Greek is prohorizo, to draw a line around, to mark out. That's what the word means. And so he says, God has, before the foundation of the world, decided that those who would have, put, have faith in his son, who would walk in faith with him, beginning with Adam, would become conformed to the image of his beautiful son. God said, there's going to be a whole race. I'm going to create a new race. And, the, and out, of the, out of this world, which he knew would sin, out of this race will come men and women who will walk with me in repentance and faith. And I will ultimately make them like my, ch- I'll make them children. They will have resurrection bodies. They will be righteous and pure and holy. They'll all have their wonderful, unique personalities. And I will have this huge family. That's the, that's the purpose. Paul is saying, this is what he's done. He's, he's decided this beforehand, that he, we would be adopted as sons. And that means men and women. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Yes, it's Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a, rev- with a view to the ad- an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. God revealed the mystery of his, of his, of his incarnate son at the right, at the center point of history and, and brought salvation. Also, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, again, there's that word, predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Part of what he planned beforehand was we would have an inheritance. To the end that we who were first to hope in Christ, that means the Jewish evangelists that came out of the first, out of Pentecost, it means Paul, would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, now here's our verse. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now let's uh, let's look at that verse a minute. I want you to say, after listening to the message of truth. truth. Having Having also believed, you were sealed in him. With the Holy Spirit of promise. Did you see three things? You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. Say that. Heard, believed, sealed. Ah, what's this sealing? That, do you see it? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He goes on. Who is given, this Holy Spirit, is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Say pledge of our inheritance. 
with a view to the redemption. When you redeem something, you buy it out of slavery. You, you rescue it out of trouble. Redemption of God's own possession. His, 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 uh, his purchased treasure is what it says. To the praise of his glory. I heard the gospel and accepted God's offer of salvation. But how do I know that he's accepted me? I prayed the sinner's prayer and meant what I said. But is there some way that God will prove to me that I'm really saved? I know the Bible says that we are saved by faith and I believe God's promise. But there are times when I question my own faith. There have been moments when I have so disappointed myself that I've wondered that I really believe. Is it even possible in this life for a person to be sure that they belong to God? To know without a doubt that they will step into eternal life when they die? Or must we finish out our days hoping that we repented sincerely enough and believed wholeheartedly enough to go to heaven? Does that make sense? Have you seen that problem? Have you felt it? Where you wondered, you know, I, I know he's, we're saved by faith, and, and I think I have faith, but boy, when I've had my really bad day or a really bad week or a really bad year, and I've got all kinds of stuff going on, and I've made promises to God I'll stop a thousand times, and I can't. After a while, I think, D did this take? Am I, am I really his? Now, you don't need to raise your hands. This is not one of those questions, but... <laughs> How many have ever thought, don't raise your hands. I don't want to see it. How many have, <laughs> you, you've, had, you've had the thought, I wonder if I'm really saved. I know he saves you by faith. I get that. But boy, how come I keep failing? How come I keep struggling? What's wrong with me? Where's my joy? This is what Paul's talking about. Thankfully, the answer to these painful questions is absolutely yes. We can know for sure that we are saved. The most important reason of all is the witness of scripture over and over again in many different ways. God states in his word this truth that the just shall live by faith. That's out of Habakkuk, but just say that, would you? The just, the just shall live by faith. And if that were the only witness we had, it would be enough. But as we'll learn today, there is also another way that God points to that reason in his letter to the church in Ephesus. While reflecting on the founding of the church in that city, he described the process of how those men and women became part of God's great family. And in doing so, he lists three basic steps. First, he said they heard the message of truth the gospel of your, did you see the your, your salvation? He's, 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 he's talking to Gentiles. He said, I preach to you the gospel of your salvation, that Gentiles, non-Jews, would be included in, as children of Abraham and into this great covenant and these promises all through the Bible that they become ours, that we're welcomed to the God of Israel and wanted by the God of Israel. How many of you, if you're not having a Jewish heritage, that makes you a Gentile. How many of you are Gentiles? Yeah, me too. Aren't you glad there's a gospel for us? Aren't you, aren't you glad? He'll, he'll call it in one place a mystery. And, and he said that God revealed that, he, want, that he, would, he would bring all of these Gentiles into his kingdom. So Paul, Paul says, you heard the message of the truth of the gospel of your 
uh, salvation. And then he says they believed what they heard. And finally, he says they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which he describes as a pledge of our inheritance, which would last until God's purchased treasure is redeemed. Who's God's purchased treasure? Raise your hand if you're God's purchased treasure. Yes, sir. Not a beautiful way of describing us. It is in this final step that Paul reveals the truth that will calm our fears. Here is the way God will prove to us and to others that we belong to him. Once we understand what it means that the Holy Spirit is our seal and pledge, those doubts need never trouble us again. Seal and pledge. In that culture, seals were a very common part of life. Someone who carried a seal carried with them the authority of the person who sent them. Or the contents of a container might be sealed to ensure that nothing had been removed or changed. It was a mark that showed approval. They would have a ring that they would stamp. And, and you'd, you'd have, uh, if you're writing a letter or a, a, you'd, in that case a scroll, you'd pour some wax on the thing and then you'd mark it with your ring. Or you, or you carried it on a cord around your neck. It's a very important piece for you. This is your, your, your seal. And you stamp that and it marks that that's mine and you're guaranteeing what's in there. So you, you have a seal. Uh, they would also stamp it into clay. Um, when you go to, when the archaeologists are digging over there in Israel, they're just seals all over the place. They, they just found Hezekiah's seal. I mean, what, he had stamped it. I mean, not some... So it's really interesting. As somebody said, it's just like you just, just touched Hezekiah when you, when you hear here's something he had stamped with his seal. So seals were a common part of life. Jesus used this image to speak of the Father's approval of him. Speaking of himself as the Son of Man, he said, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Jesus was making staggering claims about himself, but he didn't ask people to believe his claims without seeing proof. As we read through the Gospels, we recognize numerous ways God set his seal on Jesus. A voice from heaven, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist's testimony, the miracles Jesus performed, and the prophecies he fulfilled. Of course, the greatest confirmation of all was his resurrection from the dead. How's that for a seal? Yeah, that, that proves the contents. The Greek word Paul used, which we often translate as pledge, is arabon. Do you want to try that? Arabon. It can also be translated as earnest money or down payment. In modern Greek, the word arabona means an engagement ring. I just thought that was kind of cool. The word was originally used in business transactions to refer to the earnest money paid by a buyer to a, a seller which was forfeited if the purchase was not completed. Now, isn't that exactly what we do for the most part with real estate transactions? There is, you pay, you're down, your earnest money. Uh, and what you're doing is saying, I, I promise to buy your house. Here's proof of my promise. And I'm giving you this money. And if I fail to follow through, you may keep this money. And so if they don't trust you, they raise the earnest money amount, right? 
so that it gets bigger and bigger and more and more painful, and at least they're going to make some serious money on you if you fail. But it's, it's a, you follow it? It's a commitment. I'm giving you something of which I'll give you more, but I'm giving you a, a, a sizable amount that shows you how committed I am to give you what's left, what, what, the rest of the, of the bargain. The amount was supposed to be large enough to prove that the buyer was sincerely committed to the rest of what was owed. So by calling the Holy Spirit a pledge, an arabon, of our inheritance, Paul is saying that God has given us the Holy Spirit in such power that his presence serves as proof that he, we will receive our full inheritance when Jesus returns to set up God's kingdom on earth. All right, now let's apply this. Let's apply this truth to our own lives. Let's answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit serve as a seal of our salvation and a pledge of our inheritance? In other words, how does the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of this, which are released when we receive that infilling, serve as proof to us and to others that we belong to God? And how does it change the way we view our future? Here are four ways. Number one, the Spirit's presence within us is an assurance to our own heart that we are saved. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit testifies to our human spirit that we are children of God. Uh, I have it written out there. Would you read this one? This is a fabulous uh, several verses. Let's read it together for, for you. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ. Paul just said that when you and I are, are, when the Spirit comes to dwell within us, he tells our spirit that we belong to God. He says that you are, and it says here, a son. I mean, let me comment on that a minute. Men and women are sons, and here's why. I'm a son of God. I've been made a son of God because I'm joined to the son, not because I'm a male. Women, you are a son of God in this, 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 this discussion. Not because it has nothing to do with being female. You are joined to the son. You follow this? We're talking about this, the sonship we have is in Jesus. It is in him. It's, it's as though you are, you're, you're stuck inside of Jesus. And you are now standing before the Father in the Son. So the, the spiritually, men and women, Paul says, there is no male or female, no, no slave or free, no Parthian, Scythian, barbarian. He says, you are all one in Christ. You're, we are, this is our position. Spiritually, the ground is absolutely level. We all stand before the Lord, the Father in Christ. Isn't that a good thing? Notice we cry out, Abba. Who knows what Abba means? Yeah, it's, it's just that double consonant thing. Every, every culture on earth does it. The children will go Papa, Dada, Mama. Uh, you know, you just go to whatever language you want to pick. In, in Hebrew, it, it happened, Ab is, or Av is the father. So Ava or Abba. 
becomes Dada, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's beautiful, though. The spirit within us doesn't just say, oh, distant father. <laughs> the spirit within us says what? Daddy, yeah. There's a sweet love affair here. There's a tenderness. We have become dearly beloved children. That's what that's communing. Jesus used that term. Paul picks it up and uses it as well. He says, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Let's, here's another one. Because you are sons, this is Galatians, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, we men and women. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul is telling us that one of the greatest comforts the comforter brings us is his inner voice telling us that we are saved. So it is very important that a person not only believe in God, but meet him. God must change from a concept we believe in to a person we know. It is in sensing his touch, in realizing that he has come to dwell inside us, that we become confident that we are clean, that we are accepted, and that we are not alone. This is the assurance. This assurance produces dignity and boldness. I read old books. And um, this is not nearly as old as I get. But it was written in 1931 or something. It is a, um, it is a little booklet put out um, by the Moravians. Do you know who the Moravians are? Uh, the Moravian movement started like 100 years before uh, uh, Martin Luther. You know, people think Martin Luther started the Reformation. Nonsense. He was a latecomer to the party. It had been going on for, uh, for uh, over a, a century uh, in a number of places. Uh, and he, he, did, he did get with it, though. Hallelujah. Um, but the Moravians, let me tell you who they were for a second. The Moravians were a group of, 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 uh, of uh, Germans who had come to know Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior and were confessing him openly like that and wouldn't partake in the, in the other church, these high controls of the various church things. And so they were persecuted. I mean, their lives were at stake. And this, this, this German count, Count Zinzendorf, uh, Baron von Zinzendorf or something like that, um, he took them onto his property all 300 and some, and sheltered them. He protected them. They could live there. So they fled as refugees, basically, to his estate. And he let them build a little town on a, on a portion of his, his estate. And he, was, he himself was a believer and had had a powerful encounter with God. So he's protecting them. Well, this group starts reading the, the book of Acts, and they read in there about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, we'd, we'd like this. You know, look at what we're reading. Look at this falling and the gifts and all of this. We'd like this too. Um, you know, I, you can get an awful lot of trouble when you read the book and say, I'd like what's in there. And uh, so they decided they, to, to fast and to pray and wait on God until this power that they'd read about in the book of Acts arrived. Um, they did this for about a month and a half. And all at once, on one day, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on all 300, men, women, children, everybody, 
all at once, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they became an early Pentecostal movement. Uh, and uh, what, one of the deep things that they taught was the assurance that when you're saved, the Spirit of God himself will tell you that you're his. And that when you, you, sh- you don't just hope you're saved, you just hope you're gonna go to heaven, but you know you're going to heaven because the Spirit will tell you within you that you're going to heaven. Well, anyway, they wrote this thing on their hundred and something anniversary, and uh, they're talking all about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. But in this, he includes this, this statement. I want you to hear it. I've read it before, but it's so good, I can't find anything better. Uh, he quotes from Catherine Booth. Do you know her name? Uh, William and Catherine Booth founded the Salvation Army in England. Yeah, it became a powerful movement uh, at, at the time and is still around the world. Anyway, Miss Catherine Booth was, listen to this. Mrs. Catherine Booth, the mother of the Salvation Army, instructed her fellow workers as follows in the winning of souls. Quote, do not tell anybody they are saved. I never do. I leave that for the Holy Ghost to do. I tell them how to get saved. I try to help them to the way of faith. I will bring them up as close as ever I can to the blessed broken body of their Lord. And I will try to show them how willing, how willing he is to receive them. And I know that when really they do receive him, the spirit of God will tell them quickly enough that they are saved. He will not want any assistance about that. I have proved it in hundreds of cases. Nobody knows the soul but God. Nobody can see the secret windings of the depraved heart but God. Nobody can tell when a full surrender is made but God. Now hang on. Nobody can tell when the right hand is cut off or the right eye plucked out but God. Do you know what she's referring to? What does Jesus say? He says, he, says, uh, he says, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. If your right eye offend you, pluck it out. It's disgusting. It's gory. It's like, ah. And he, mean, he means it to be. What he's saying is don't let anything, don't let anything stand in your way from going to heaven. You know, it, it, whatever drastic measure you have, if this, if this addiction, if this, if this thing is dragging you to hell, do whatever you have to do. To get free of it. That's, that's, that's the point of this. And so here's Catherine Booth. And she's saying. Who knows. When that person. In the deepest place of their heart. Has truly surrendered all. Has truly said. God I really trust you. I really will give you my life. Their right hand cut off. as The right eye plucked out. They made that drastic decision. Jesus I will follow you. Regardless. And she says. Nobody knows when the soul is wholehearted but God. And as soon as he sees it, he will tell that soul it is saved. Isn't that beautiful? As soon as he sees it, he will tell that soul it is saved. That's what Paul is teaching us. He's teaching us that the Holy Spirit has come to declare to us. So, so the, this is what makes Christians obnoxious. You have noticed that there's, there's, there's this certainty in Christians. 
Like they all, they know that they know God. And, and, and there's a whole lot of the world that doesn't know God. And they look at you and they go, what is wrong with you? How can you be so sure of yourself? And they, they assume we just, we're just stubborn. And, and we are. <laughs> but what they don't recognize is that man or that woman, if they really belong to Christ, there's a voice inside them that says, Abba, Father. Even in their worst day, even in their worst moments, even in their darkest moments, the Lord still says, I love you. You're mine. Who've heard that voice? Yeah, it, it and there's a, there's a sense in you, I can't explain all of these things. I, there's all kinds of questions that I can't answer to you. I have, I, I, I'm not a great philosopher that can f- solve all of these issues of the world. But I can tell you this, I know that I know. I know he's there and I know he talks to me. There's something in my heart saying, you're mine and will be forever. Number two, the Spirit's presence. No, I want to do one more. Just a minute. I had a man come and talk to me, uh, was it a year or two ago? One of the members of the church, he'd been here a long time. And uh, he said, Pastor, would you pray for me for the baptism of the Spirit? He said, I, I've tried to get this thing for decades. And he said, I just can't. And uh, I'm real cerebral, I, I think, you know. And, and he was, he's an intelligent man. And uh, he says, it's just I can't seem to un- disengage my mind. I don't know what it is. But I can't just, I just can't get this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I said, sure, let's come in. And we, we, I prayed with him. And, and indeed, he did step through and into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I talked with him weeks later, um, and, and, he, and he said this. He says, you know, something strange has happened. He said, I never told you. I didn't tell anybody. He said, but all these years, I have doubted in the back of my heart my salvation. I've always wondered, am I really saved? And he said, now that I've been baptized in the Spirit, that's gone away. Now, So when you tell me that at our youth camps we had 118 children baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm not going, oh, yay, they speak in tongues. I'm going, oh, yay, they're sealed. That that, that as they've stepped through, for that that youth, we had had children, for that child to come to her leader and say, she's just beaming. She says, I gave my life to Jesus. And she says, and I have my prayer language. And she's had the powers touched her. The Lord's touched her. Do you, do you realize what it is when God reaches out and touches you? Not just, yes, I, I believe there's a God. That's a philosophical affirmation. I actually think you can get saved saying, I believe there's a God. I choose to repent. I mean, you, you can do that, but it's real dry. And we lack in that condition resources that are supposed to be ours. This isn't meant to be a dry, experienceless, powerless sort of philosophy that we affirm, a rationality that we, we vote for. It's meant to be an encounter, a person. So when you tell me these young people, God's touched them. In fact, they were, t- they were showing me pictures I got on my phone where some of these young people, these children, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and turned around and start praying for others, laying hands on others and ministering to others to receive the baptism of the Spirit. This isn't silliness. And nobody's worked it up as some sort of emotionalism. There's not that at all. 
We don't have the drums beating and the, the whole nine. It's not that. It's real. There really is a God. Jesus really is his son. And he really has sent the Holy Spirit. And, when, and, and from the youngest to the oldest, we can walk into this power, into this pressure, and be sealed and have a pledge. The Spirit's presence at work in and through us is also confirmation to other believers that God has accepted us. And that leads to trust and inclusion. We see this happen in the book of Acts when Jewish believers were confronted with a report that Gentile believers had been baptized and thus welcomed into the church. They were doubtful that God could save Gentiles, let alone bring them into the fellowship of the church until they heard that they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Listen, and as I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And what, what did Peter see? What happened that day? This is Cornelius' household uh, in a, on, a, on a town called Caesarea right on the, on the coast. And this is a group of, of uh, Romans, of Italians, uh, all in this house. And Peter had gone there. What had happened? They were speaking in tongues and exalting God. So they're prophesying, they're praising God prophetically. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, I love this, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. I love the well then. I could you see, a, a, you're going to have to let these people that are really different than you into your church. Well then, if God likes them, I guess we have to too. Isn't that, that's a good message. <laughs> this, is, this is a group of Jewish leaders. They've been taught to be, you know, kosher and clean and everything else. And here are these wild Gentiles. And for, whatever, for reasons known only to himself, God has baptized them with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> meaning he accepted their heart. And did you see the last line of that? Well then, God has granted to them what? Repentance. This is proof that they, the right hand was cut off, the right eye plucked out. That the true surrender from the deepest place in these, in these men and women took place. We cannot argue with this. He's poured out his spirit and baptized them just as he did us. Ah, well then, we have to let him into church. <laughs> After that, there had been much debate. Here's another passage. This is, this is about 10 years later, I think. After that, there had been much debate. This is a, called the Jerusalem Council. Peter stood up and said to them, this whole gathering in Jerusalem, who's still struggling with the idea of, of Gentiles coming into the church. Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, there it is, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Peter is re recalling at this important meeting that 
up in Antioch, which is in Syria, Paul and, and, and Barnabas and everybody, they had a, a huge move of God going and all of these Gentiles pouring into the church and Jews and Gentiles eating together. Oh, it's terrible. And, and Jerusalem heard about this and they're furious. And they sent Barnabas up to fix it. Barnabas becomes one of them. It was, uh, he joined the opposition. And so they, they have this meeting, like, what are we going to do? And so you've got these leaders. And these aren't, by the way, the 12 apostles. These guys, those guys are all gone. They're on their way to India. They're on their way to Ethiopia. They're, they're, out, they're out ministering uh, for the most part. You've got Peter and John there. And, and uh, this is Peter who stood up and said this. Uh, so they have this meeting. What are we going to do? And so Peter says, may I remind you that it was through me preaching to this group of Romans that the Lord chose to pour out his spirit on them. And to, and to give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Who are we to stand in God's way? And that group of leaders had to say, all right, if God's going to fill them with the Spirit, we'll have to let them into church. Based on the fact that God had baptized someone with the Holy Spirit, and that there was visible evidence of speaking in tongues and prophetic praise, the leaders of the early church put aside their fears and accepted people who were very different from themselves. Number three, the Spirit's presence in us and his powerful works through us are proof to the watching world that Jesus is the Savior. Words alone are not enough. People today need to see the God we proclaim actually do something. The early church needed God's power to prove that Jesus was the Savior. But in the atmosphere of skepticism in the West are ministering now, that power is needed to prove that God exists at all. People need to see that if they receive Jesus as their Savior, he can truly help them in their suffering. Let me stop. In those days, the debate was, is Jesus the Savior, not is there a God? And in much of the world today, that's still the question. They, if you go to much of the world, they are not discussing, is there a spiritual world? They think you're nuts if you don't understand that there's a whole spiritual dimension. Only in the West, Western Europe, United States, Canada, New Zealand, uh, and Australia, as far as I can tell. You're pretty well right in that zone. You've got this group that aren't sure there's a God at all. And so... In much of the world, the Holy Spirit is is showing that Jesus is indeed the Savior, that he alone is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But to our society and to the world you and I live in now, people are asking, is there even a God at all? They've been taught they're evolved ponscum. They've taught that this entire universe, with all of its complexity, its mass, its energy, is an accident or has always been, which blows my circuits, I do not know how something becomes from nothing. Um, so th- they're, they're living in this world, which is very empty, is it not? It's frightening. I mean, picture this. You have a whole group of people who are trying to make sense of wh- what is life about because there is no God. We are an accident. When we die, we rot and become a- just ashes, compost. And so how do we make some sense or some purpose out of these days we have as organisms living on the surface of this planet. Into this world, they need to see, not just hear about another philosophy. 
Is there a living God? Does he actually do something? People need to see that if they receive Jesus as their savior, that he can truly help them in their suffering. They need to see the power of the spirit break addictions, release depression, produce friends for the lonely, and give guidance to the confused. Did you notice the kind of things I picked? This living in a godless world is tremendously depressing. Do you know that suicide is now in the top 10 ways of dying in the United States? Suicide is swelling. Drug addiction is swelling. Depression is savage. And just, just I talk to people all the time. It's just, to, it exactly. There, it actually, people, he says, people are crazy. It's a dysfunction. There's just more and more dysfunction and breakdown. Can Jesus change that? Can he come and actually make my life have meaning and purpose and joy? Can, can he come and lift this depression? Is there the power? Is there real power that can get rid of this stuff so that I can be the person I sense inside I'm supposed to be? Is it there? The answer is yes. But I'm telling you, just a philosophical Christianity isn't, isn't going to answer that. New Testament Christianity, Christianity that has the power of the Holy Spirit, that has a living God who's active among us. Not emotionalism, real power. That is what's needed. The gifts of the Spirit, when functioning properly, may be more important now than they have ever been. In the Bible, the Bible is full of examples. Here are two. But Peter and the apostles answered, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is, look at that, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And what he means is, he's just, he and all these others have been out having signs and wonders, having the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no arguing with it. Look, you, could, you, you had people who everybody knew who were suddenly miraculously healed or delivered of, of demonic oppression. You, you had this kind of thing going on. You couldn't deny it. You, you could, you, you, it, was, it, was, it was so real, it was factual. And Peter could stand in front of the religious leaders in Jerusalem who, who want to kill him and say, we're testifying to Jesus, and so is the Holy Spirit. And it, it was, that wasn't just some vague thing. Everybody had to go, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I mean, something's happening. The Holy Spirit is not only a seal to us, he is also a pledge. And as such, the pres his presence in us is a reminder of the glorious inheritance that is waiting for us in the future. We know that future will be one in which we will be immersed in the unrestrained glory of God to such a degree of intensity that we must first be given our resurrected body to endure it. Let me stop. We are given, the Bible will call it, the foretastes, for, the, for, uh, the first fruits or the foretaste of the powers of the age to come. The Holy Spirit, your, your future, is to be immersed in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, or the presence of God, to such a degree that were we immersed in it now, it would kill us. The present, right now, 
God, God has restrained his glory. He has to. If he lets it go, it's like, it's a power. It's like a fire. When he let, if he lets it go, it'll just, it, it will evaporate the universe. You see that at the end of the Bible. I read the end of the Bible. I know what happens. <laughs> and he, at that point, he lets it go. And, you, and, and the entire universe, it says, uh, disappears and, and, and is gone. And he creates a new one. He, we get a resurrected universe. Look, when, when Paul saw Jesus, he didn't just see a vision. When he saw the resurrected Jesus in front of him, Paul looked right at it. What, what did it do to Paul? It literally damaged his eyes. Yeah, his, his, it, 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 it blinded him and his eyes oozed. It was like they had been radiated. I mean, this, this is the power of, 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 the, of the Lord. Um, when Moses saw the Lord, uh, he, was, he was there on the mountain. Uh, the Lord put him in a cave, stuck his hand over him and let him see him going away, you know, backside. And Moses' skin shone. Afterwards, they, they literally put a, a, a cloth over his face because he scared them. He glowed in the dark. You know, it's like, ah. Uh. And, and they, they had him cover himself because he scared them till that, till that faded. Uh, God's power, so God right now is restraining his glory. The day, the day comes when he lets it go. And this whole universe is just saturated. You will someday be immersed in a, in a level of the love and power of God which would kill you right now. Now, stop. How many have felt you've been in places where the Lord's power and presence was so sweet, so strong, that it took your breath away? Have, has, I've, have you ever been in a place where you thought, Lord, any more of this, I think I'll kill me. <laughs> I really can't take any more, Lord. There's no more. No more. The reason you're going to be resurrected is that you'll have a body now because they can endure this and we can go right into his presence. We're welcomed to his knee. Look, that's our future. There's really no discussion. Do I want the Holy Spirit? Your future, my future, is in the presence, that kind of presence. Paul says, we have the first portion of it as a down payment. It's been given to us to assure us there's a lot more of this that's going to be coming. This is our future. But the thought of his being immersed in his presence isn't strange or frightening to us. It's thrilling because we have already had beautiful moments immersed in his love so that the thought of our inheritance, an eternity of more of that, is heavenly. And we can be confident that it will happen because we have already received God's pledge. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We already have the first fruits, Paul calls it, of the spirit. We already have tasted the powers of the age to come, says the author of Hebrews. No wonder Paul prayed this prayer for those believers in Ephesus and us. Why don't you read this with me? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what are the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who 
Paul says, I pray that your spirit, that your, that your, your, that your eyes of your heart would open up and see what God has in store for you, what your inheritance is. Because once it, you see it, it changes the price tags. All of a sudden, yes, you want to live in this world, yes, you, 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 but what's ahead of you has become so real to you and so beautiful that this, the, you don't cling to this. It puts that missionary spirit in you. You begin to live like a missionary. You begin to say, how can I make my life draw others to know him? You begin to live bringing others so that they too can be part of this. It changes everything. It turns our entire thinking upside down. Or no, right side up. What we have learned today is that when a person has heard the gospel and believed, they also need to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means they need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and have the gifts of the Spirit at work in their life. We've learned that this is God's plan for his children, that it is part of his great gift. It's his sealing that brings an assurance that he or she is saved. That confirms to other believers that a person has been accepted by God, that serves as proof to a watching world that Jesus is the Savior and brings to us a confidence that God has a wonderful future prepared for us. To leave someone without this seal and pledge is to leave them vulnerable to certain doubts and fears. It is to leave them without an important resource that God has provided. Each of us needs to ask, do I have this resource? And each of us needs to commit to help others receive it. When you and I lead someone to the Lord, please don't stop at the sinner's prayer. Don't just tell them about Jesus, have them pray and receive and say, there you go, you got it. They need to hear, they need to believe, and what do they need? They need to be sealed. And so just say, may I, here's, let me tell you about what is, what is God's great gift to you. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He gives you, it's given to you right now because of who you are. You are now righteous in God. But there is a Holy Spirit. Would you, may I pray for you? Would you like to receive that? And then if they, they're willing, put, put your hand on them and just pray for the power of God. Pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look, ministering, I, we talked about the gift of tongues. Ministering that, tongues is, we want people to be able to pray in the Spirit. That's beautiful and it's part, part of this. But the point is to open up and receive the presence, to be touched by the power of God. To start that process, to, to, to bring that in. Why would I want to leave someone without the seal? Without the inner assurance? Why would I want to bring someone with all the temptations, all the pressures, all the hammering that life brings us without that voice loudly inside saying, you're mine. I just realize even, and I don't push, point at anybody because I've done a lot of this. I've led so many people, as have you, I'm sure, to the Lord and, but, and, and not really gotten to that step. 
Because it takes time. It takes an interest into the person. I mean, you got to stop and minister, you know, and all that. And yet I realize that's why I think we're talking about it. If you and I all do this, if when we lead somebody to the Lord, we're, we, gotta, someone, we, we make sure we pray that they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That they have that wonderful sealing. That that voice is there. That those gifts are there. That that power is there for them. Here's what it tells me. When you tell me 118 of those children had that kind of encounter with God. And I know it wasn't manufactured. I know how they minister. This is one at a time and this is careful. And each child is, is truly not, doesn't, isn't coached into something foolish or anything like that. You tell me I got 118 kids that have met the power of God. And I know you can't ever, once you see something, you can't unsee it. You know that? Once you see something, you can't unsee it. And once you've met God and you go, uh-oh, he's really there. You can't ever not know he's really there. These are the deep things that change. Philosophies, I just said, I said this little sentence you told me to say, all that can disappear. But not an encounter with God. I met him at 12 years of age. Broken family, messed up mom. I mean, I love her, but boy, it was a wild ride and and for both of us, uh, and we both met him. And we met him in power. And I'm still, I'm now 70. And look at me, I'm worse than I've ever been. I, and it's not, cause, it's, not, it's not because I'm interested in religion. I still, to this day, have a religious bone in my body. I have no interest in religion. But I've met the living God. And he's shaken me to my root. I know he's there. I know, I know he's there. I said to somebody, we had a young, um, no, an, old, an older man last night, say, I've, I've been coming, I've been listening to you, and I came, this is my first time. But he said, I need this Holy Spirit. And I looked him right in the eye, I said, this is no game. It's real. And he says, I know, that's why I'm here. It's not a game. Lord God, we love you with all our heart. And we thank you for, we thank you for the gospel. For the, for the message of our salvation. That our beloved Lord has died for us. And borne our sins. Every one of them. And provided a salvation that washes us clean. For the rest of our lives. How grateful we are Jesus. That you wanted us this much. That you knew us. And you, and you made such a sacrifice. That we could be children of God. But Lord you have also sent forth. Your the spirit of God, to dwell within us, to testify with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, heirs, inheritors of a great inheritance. Heirs of God and co-heirs with you. Jesus, we love you. May this be, go deep into each of us as we have received your gift of the spirit. If we have not, Lord, just draw us. And as we minister to others, may this be part of our thinking. That we share you and we also share the ceiling and the pledge. That there is a spirit of God who's come. To surround them, to strengthen them, to dwell within them. To be with them forever. Lord, our future is a future immersed in your glory. Immersed in your love a place where it doesn't even need a sun, 
because the brilliance of your beauty. We love you, Jesus. Help us live full of vision, full of life. Thank you for the days we have. We treasure every one. We're missionaries now. In your precious name we pray. You agree with that? Would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.